You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. We're going to be in John chapter 5 today. That's where we are on this wonderful book of the Bible. And we had taken a break from this book for a few weeks over Christmas and New Year's, and we uh, dived back into it last week. And so uh, we're going to be in John 5. We'll start in verse 19 and go through verse 29 this morning. Uh, you probably heard me mention in my prayer, and maybe it jogged your memory, uh, that tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's uh, a day that many schools get off, or workplaces even will be closed. Uh, not all, but some. Uh, and I, w- I was reading a little bit about him, and I, I was remembering what is obvious, that he has a junior attached to his last name, which implies he has a father of the same name who went by the same name. And I was reading a little bit about his dad, uh, who went by the name Martin Luther King, eventually senior. Uh, and I, I had not realized, or maybe I just had forgotten, that he was a pastor uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, at a church called Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and for a season, even, Martin Luther King Jr., who also served as a pastor in his younger adult years, uh, him and his father worked as pastors at the same church uh, for several years in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, one time somebody was interviewing the son, Martin Luther King Jr., and asking him about how he ended up in ministry, what, what sort of influences led him to that. And he mentioned his dad. He said, I guess the influence of my father also had a great deal to do with me going into ministry. This isn't to say that he ever spoke to me in terms of being a minister, but that my admiration for him was the great moving factor. He set forth a noble example that I didn't mind following. I thought that was beautiful, uh, that, that this young man had seen his dad in ministry and had seen an example that was set that he wanted to aspire to himself. That he And even for a season, they actually joined and worked together in the very same place, in the very same congregation that they were working uh, hand in hand as, as fellow pastors in that congregation. And it made me think in this text as well, the phrase, like father, like son. Uh, that was a real example of that, where there was a father who lived a certain way and his son ended up doing very much the same, doing very similar things. And we use that phrase for all sorts of things. Sometimes we say it based on how a son looks like his dad. Maybe there's certain facial features or eye colors or height or weight, things like that, uh, that will make us think of their father. Sometimes it's how they speak, uh, their, what even their voice sounds like. Sometimes it's mannerisms that they have or phrases they use, things like that. But uh, we often will see sons that are much like their fathers. So we say, like father, like son. And uh, I was thinking of that phrase and even of the kings because this passage we're going to read, read from today is really going to be Jesus speaking about his relationship with God the Father. He's going to refer to himself as the Son over and over and over in this passage, almost talking in third person. Uh, but he's going to talk about himself as the Son, and he's going to talk about the Father, his heavenly Father, and how they work together, that, that their relationship as Father and Son and their closeness, their resemblance, their unity is going to far surpass what we would ever see in any human, uh, merely human father-son relationship, whether it's the king's or yours. Uh, their, their connectedness and their unity, their work together as Father and Son is going to blow anybody else's out of the water. And we're going to get to hear Jesus himself, which is awesome, describe this, talk about their work as Father and son. And so we're going to read this together here in just a minute. We're just going to read the whole thing, 19 to 29. But if you weren't here last Sunday, maybe you've been on break or we're out of town 
for sick. I uh, wanted to let you know what immediately happened right before this so we can have our context set. What happened before this in chapter 5 is Jesus had come into the city of Jerusalem during a feast time. So it was really crowded, uh, crowded uh, in the city at that point in time. And he, on a Sabbath day, on purpose, on a Saturday, uh, had gone to this pool uh, that was known to have healing powers, or at least believed to. And he had picked out one man from that crowd who had not been able to walk for almost four decades. And he spoke a word, and in a moment gave that man the ability to have strength back in his legs and to get up and walk. And he told him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he did. It was a miraculous thing. But what we saw happen at the end of our story last week is that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem come to this guy, and all they see in this scenario is this guy carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And they got really mad about it and questioned him, why are you doing this? And he diverted their attention to Jesus, the one who told him to do it. And so now they get mad at Jesus. And why are you telling people to do this stuff on the Sabbath? We have law from God against these type of things. And we saw right at the end of last week that Jesus was starting to defend himself against these, these accusations. He, he had said in verse 17, my father is working even on Sabbath days. And so essentially then saying, and I'm working on Sabbath days. I have the right to do that. And then they get real mad and want to kill him. That's where we ended last week. And this week we're going to pick up and he's going to defend himself even more. He's going to elaborate more on why he has the right to do this. Why he can work on the Sabbath. Why he can heal whomever he wants, however he wants on the Sabbath day. And it's going to have everything to do with his relationship with God the Father. And their connectedness is what's going to give him the authority to do these things. And so I'm going to read this 19 to 29 of John chapter 5. I encourage you to follow along with me. John recorded this for us. And note when, I, when you hear the word, the son, this is Jesus talking about himself. It's kind of a third person talk. can feel weird to us, but that's how he talked, apparently, at times at least. So uh, it says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 
There is much that could be said from this passage. I feel sort of overwhelmed uh, trying to unpack all this stuff, to be honest, this week. Um, And this is really the deep end of the theology pool. You'll hear me say sometimes where Jesus is talking about the relationships of God the Father and God the Son. Uh, Some of this is hard to wrap our minds around, but in some ways what is going on in this text is really simple, too. It's not uh, that hard to understand. I would point you for a, a quick summary statement of this passage, if you hear nothing else, to the very end of verse 23. Uh, That would be how I would understand the core point of what Jesus is saying and doing even by describing these things where he says this to these authorities. He says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is wanting these people, and he would want us to know today that his relationship, him and the Heavenly Father are so intertwined are so uh, united in their relationship and their work that to, to relate to one in a certain way is to relate to the other in that way. To receive the one is to receive the other. To reject the one is to reject the other. And he wants to blow out of the water this idea that we can love God the Father, but you, Jesus... Uh, We don't know about you. Like, we don't need you. You're crazy. Uh, He wants to blow that out of the water and say, if you reject me, you reject God. And that's in a very simple way what he's trying to describe here and and a point that he's trying to make. And that's what I would want the main point of this sermon to be today is that you cannot, every single one of you, you cannot honor the Father without honoring the Son. You can't. It It is not possible. Now, I want to point out a couple of th- ways that Jesus describes their relationship together as father and son and their work together as, as father and son because you can see from these things the interconnectedness that he's describing, that he, better than anyone, would know full well because he's living it firsthand, and he's going to describe it for us. A couple of things I point out from this text of their relationship and how he describes it. One, I'd first note to you from what that end of verse 23 that I read for you, is that the Father sent the Son. Uh, That's a really important thing that Jesus, you'll see, brings up over and over again, that he was sent by the Father. Uh, These leaders of his day were accusing him of making himself equal with God and of just sort of coming up manufacturing these own things he wanted to see happen and these own things that he wanted to teach. And Jesus, from the get-go in this passage, is wanting, like you see it in verse 19, he says, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And he's wanting them to know, guys, I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm, I'm not just creating this stuff out of thin air and doing stuff that, that works and that gathers the following. I, am, I was sent here by the Heavenly Father, the God you claim to love and worship. He sent me into this world to teach and to heal and to, to, to change people. He sent me. And you, you see him describe in this passage and other passages this idea that he is submitting to God the Father, that he is doing what he is told, that he, he is, he's not just coming up with these ideas on his own, but he's seeing things that the Father is doing, and he's saying, now I'm doing them on his behalf. There's this unity that's implied that, that he was sent by the Heavenly Father. Just like in the story we read last week, that guy who Jesus healed, when they start questioning him, about why he's carrying around this mat. Do you remember he said, Jesus told me to. Like He's the one that told me to. Jesus is kind of doing the same thing here. Now when they ask him, why are you saying these things? Why are you teaching these things, Jesus? He's essentially saying, because the Father told me to. I was sent by him to do these things. And you guys say you love him. 
I was sent by him. And he's wanted them to know that he's not just on an island doing his own thing, making up his own ideas, but he's sent by the Father. Another thing you see that describes their relationship, their unity, that shows how close they are, is in verse 20. You see that not only did the Father send the Son, but he says the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. Uh, That is a beautiful thing that we maybe just assume and we, we could read right past, but to remember, Jesus is saying the Father loves me. He's experienced that in all eternity past, the love of the Father, and he's experiencing it in this moment and will always experience it, that the Heavenly Father loves him. They were were not rivals that were trying to sort of uh, one-up one another like some gods of, of mythology and things like that, but they were two persons within the same God who love one another, who have a deep regard for each other and appreciate each other and delight in each other. So we see that the Father loves the Son. There's a closeness between the two of them. And then you see in what we read in verse 23 that the Father wants everyone to honor the Son. It's not just that he sent him so he could get all the glory as the Father up in heaven, but he wants every human being to honor the Son. You see that at the start of verse 23, that all may honor the Son. That's the desire of the Heavenly Father, is that every human being, you included, me included, would honor Jesus Christ. That is the desire of of God the Father. But no, also he he says as he continues, that the Father wants all to honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Did you catch that? That's not a throwaway statement. That's important because you could have said that God the Father wanted everybody to honor Moses, right? He wanted people to respect the prophets that he had sent, the, the people that he had sent to lead them, teach them. That had been true of all sorts of people, that God the Father wanted humans to honor them. But Jesus is saying, God wants you to honor me the same way you honor him. Like if you claim to love him, if you claim to respect him, then you are called to honor and respect and love me just the same. And there is no prophet. I don't care you line up Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Moses, go back to the patriarchs. There is nobody in the Bible who could have ever said, you honor me the same way you honor God. But Jesus is saying that. Like If you think you honor him, you better honor me just the same. That is a bold, big thing to say, that God wants you to honor me the same way that you honor him. And so Jesus is placing himself above every other human leader, every other, even these guys themselves, these Jewish leaders of his day, saying, I deserve way more honor than you guys. And you, you all are called to respect me, to honor me, to obey me, because I'm united with the Father. And Jesus is making some very, very bold statements about how close that he is with the Father. But you also see, it's not just this relationship that they have together, like of love and respect and honor, but you also see Jesus talking in this context about the work that they do together. Uh, the, the, that some of you, I, don't, I will not claim any relatives like this, but some of you probably have relatives. You would say, I love them, but you cannot imagine working with them. Can you imagine some people like that? Just based on your personality, like, that would not work. That would not go well. We would fight. We would argue. We would have totally different goals. We could not work together. Uh, There's all sorts of family relationships we have like that. But Jesus, as he's describing his relationship with the Heavenly Father, talks very much in terms of the work that they do together. 
uh, that they share in this work. The things that they're doing are united. It's not just this affection that they have, but it's this work that they are even doing together. You saw that back in verse 17 where he had said, my father is working until now and I'm working. So he's talking about we work, like we do things together. He's been doing it, I'm doing it. And then he talks about in the early verses of our text today how Jesus does only what he sees the father doing. He says that uh, whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And he talks about how in verse 20, the father, I don't even know what this, this is fascinating to imagine what this would have been like for Jesus. But he says that the father is showing him all that he's doing. I don't know what that means or what that was like, but Jesus somehow was being shown by God the father everything that the father was up to. All the work that God the father was doing in and around him in society and in the world, he's seeing all of it. And he says, that's the only thing that I do. Like I see him all, I see all the things he's up to, and that's all I do. It's not like I mix some of his plan with some of my plan. He shows me what he's up to, and I do it with him. I, I work with him. I, I make it happen. I, I, do the, I teach the things that, I, that I'm told to teach, and I heal the people I'm told to heal on the days I'm told to heal. Like He's saying that we work together. There's no division in our work. He shows me everything he's doing, and I do it. And this would have been in a day and age where it would have been the norm for a father's trade to get passed to the son, right? Jesus was a carpenter's son. And so Joseph had known carpentry. And as the son of Joseph, Jesus had learned to be a carpenter. And it's sort of like that, that that there's a heavenly father who's doing all of his work in the world. And he's showing Jesus how to do this work as well. Uh, And Jesus is following suit. He is doing the work of the father in the world but it's not exactly like that because we should never picture Jesus just like some little kid who's kind of, uh, the dad has this big project he's working on and he can imagine all what he's building and he says, hey, Jesus, go get me a hammer or give me a nail or whatever. And the kid's just like, okay, I'll go get it and has no idea what in the world the big picture is. Uh, he just is kind of a little task runner. That's not what Jesus is. He is far more than that. He, he sees God the Father and all the big plan that he's doing. And he is an integral part now as a human being, as a man to bring it about. He knows full well what they're doing and he's full on with God the Father and working to bring it about. And their trade, if, if Joseph's was carpentry, woodworking, the trade, so to speak, if we could speak that plainly, which is probably not healthy, that the father and son would do together was giving life. That's how I would describe it from this text. You see that come up a couple of times. That uh, the, the Old Testament would speak of God being the one who could give life. Verse 21 describes that, that the father can raise the dead and give them life. And Jesus says, so also the son gives life to whom he will. That's their work. That's what they're doing in the world is giving life where there was death. They're, they're speaking life into people who are spiritually dead. That is their trade. And there's two different, ty- two different types of ways that Jesus describes in this passage that he does that, this giving of life, this doing of the work with God the Father, them working together. One, you see, first in verse 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus was describing something that was already happening in his day, in his life. He was saying, dead people are hearing my voice and they're coming to life. 
And what he is talking about here, I believe, is not, he hadn't raised anybody from the dead yet, to my knowledge, from physical death at this point in time. But he's saying there's this, uh, this life that's being given already. And so I think what he's describing here, this first type of giving of life, is spiritual life that he's giving to people. He's saying, guys, this is already happening now. There's, all of us are spiritually dead, but when people hear me speak, when they hear me tell them the good news about why I've come and what I'm here to do and the forgiveness that I offer, when they hear my voice, I can give them life in their soul that was dead before. Just like he did with that man by that pool. He had healed that guy's legs, but then he came and talked to his soul and addressed his heart and could speak life into his soul. And Jesus is saying, I can do that. I am doing that, he's telling these guys, which I think would have just been blowing these guys' minds. Like, who do you think you are? Like saying you can do this stuff, that you can raise people from spiritual death, that you're already doing that. But he says that he can. That's the work that he's doing with the Father. And I would tell you that is still the work that Jesus is doing today. Jesus can still speak a word today it might come through a human voice it might come through reading the bible but he can still speak a word today and bring life where there is spiritual death in anyone he can do it from heaven that's where he is now he has even far more authority now i think given to him than he had here and he can speak life into a person's soul he could speak life into your soul right now he can do it. And it, it, how he does it is he brings this message. He brings this word about him that he came to die for you upon the cross, to take your sins upon himself and say, I will take them so that they, you might be freed of them. And you hear this message come to you, this message about Christ, that not only did he die for your sin, but he was raised from the dead. And he offers you eternal life. He offers you forgiveness. If you will honor him, if you will come to him in brokenness and repentance and faith, he says, I will give you life. And he can do that today. He can do it in your heart. And if if that's already been done in you, he can do that in the hearts of those you speak to, the hearts of people you take the gospel to. He is in the business of doing miracles in people's souls. And he was doing it then, and he can do it now. And so he's saying, that is the work that I'm doing with God the Father, is where there's death, and it's all over. All of us are born dead into this world, spiritually saying, I can give life. I can overcome that, and I am doing it. And so we see him saying, that is the power that he shares with God the Father. And I, I want us to think about this, and we'll sing a few songs in a few minutes, but I want us to think about this, that... For people that we are seeking to share the gospel with, this change needs to happen in them. That we are born spiritually dead into this world, and we need God the Son, Jesus, to speak life into our souls, every single one of us. And there are many people in our world who think that they are honoring God. They think that, oh, I believe in God. I, I think he exists. I'm trying to honor him. I'm trying to please him. They think, just like these guys, these Jewish leaders, they think they're honoring God. But they do not care about Jesus. They either are flatly rejecting him and denying him and saying, I don't want any of this Jesus stuff. Or they're just ignoring him and keeping him sidelined in their life. And it is not enough, for, according to Jesus, for someone to just say, I believe in God. Every person is born into this world with a belief in God. That is not a sign that there is spiritual life in you. What is a sign that there is spiritual life in you is if you are honoring the Son. 
That is how you know if you've transferred from death to life, is how do I view Jesus? How do I honor him with my life? Do I trust him? Have I turned my heart and my soul over to him in repentance and faith? That is how we can know if someone has passed from death to life. Let's not fall short when we talk to a neighbor or a co-worker and they say, yeah, I believe in God, to just think, oh, sweet, case closed. That person obviously is, is born again already. We need to press in and know, do you love Jesus? Because if you don't honor him, you don't honor God. That's what Jesus said. If you don't honor Jesus, you do not honor God. So let's press into our kids' hearts. See, do you love Jesus? Are you giving your life to him? Let's press in with our dorm roommates and our coworkers and press in. Do you honor Christ? Because if you don't, you do not honor God. And that's not just me saying that. That's Jesus saying that. And we need to call people to trust in him specifically. There is no trust in God generally that has not come through trust in Jesus specifically. And so we need to believe that and remember that. And the, so that was the first kind of life Jesus said he would give and that him and the Father could give is this giving of spiritual life. But I want to end by pointing you to this. He's talked about in this passage some greater works that he would do that would even far surpass healing this guy by the pool and doing all these other miracles. He talked about how there's going to be these greater works. I think the greater works he's describing come in verse 28 and 29. He's describing these things out in the future that are even the future from us still today. But it's again that you're going to see it's this giving of life. He says, do not marvel at this, verse 28, for an hour is coming, and note he doesn't say is now here, so he's saying it's in the future. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus, again, is looking into the future and he's saying, hey, I can give life into people's souls right now. I have the power to do that, to breathe life into their souls. But he's telling these people and he's telling us today, there is a day coming, and I don't know when it is, you don't know when it is, but there is a day coming where he says, someday I'm going to speak, Jesus is saying, someday I'm going to say a word, and every human being who has ever walked upon this planet is going to be raised from the dead. Like their bodies are going to come back together, where they're, whether they're in the bottom of the sea or the nicest tomb or they were burned up, whatever. Every person is going to have their body back and be raised up from the dead when I speak. Do you get why people thought he was crazy? Like he is saying, someday I'm going to say a word and every human being, billions of people are going to come back to life. We think it's awesome if we tell, ask Siri a question and she can answer us. Or we say, Google Home, play such and such song. And we think that's amazing. Jesus is going to speak a word. And if you are dead when he has come back and you hear that word, your body is going to come back to life. And the body of your neighbors are going to come back to life. And your kids are going to come back to life. And your coworkers are going to come back to life. Jesus is going to speak a word someday. And as the one who's been resurrected himself is going to give resurrection to everyone else. To billions of people. But then he says he is going to be the judge. That's the other greater work that he gives. He, he says there are some who will be raised to the resurrection of life. And there's some that will be raised to the resurrection of judgment. And Jesus is saying, not only am I going to speak a word and raise every person up from the dead, but I am going to judge each person. 
I, Jesus, I am going to judge each of you. I will be the one who decides your fate. He is claiming things that no person ever could or would claim about themselves. And he's saying that is the work that God the Father has given me to do, to someday raise all people up and to be the judge. And note that that when that day comes, there will be no arguments made. There will be no case that you can make for yourself. There will be no changing of my mind. And I meant to honor the Son, but I didn't honor the Son. I I meant to to change, but I didn't change. I meant to repent of my sins, but I didn't. Your fate will be sealed. When he speaks and those tombs are opened and you come back to life, your fate will be sealed at that point, either to eternal life or to eternal judgment. And it all hinges on whether you honor him. Whether This text says whether you have honored the son. Whether you have, verse 24 says, you have, when you have heard the word about him, did you believe? Did you believe the father speaking through him saying, I've come I'm laying down my life for you. I'm being raised from the dead for you. Do you believe him? And are you honoring him with your life? Are you putting your trust in him, giving your life to him? That is what will determine your judgment on that day. I know it talks about those who have done good, those who have done evil, but those are just evidences. The the core thing comes back in verse 24. It's, did you hear his word and believe? And if you do, if you believe it, hear it, trust it, receive the word, the good news of Christ, you will be part of this resurrection of life. You will have passed from death to life, not just here and now, but for eternity. And we have that great hope to look forward to. But we must, if we have any hope of honoring the Father, we must honor the Son.